Yo, 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 what's up? It's your boy, Brother Ash. Welcome to Watchworthy. The reason why I'm talking about that is because we have... <laughs> talking like that is because we have a very special episode. I was wondering, today. what was that? <laughs> That's about to be my new style of intro. Okay. Uh, That's so, your 80s hip-hop intro? 80s, 90s, all of that. Today, we're going to be uh, talking about the documentary, Welcome to Rap City. Yes. Uh, going to be definitely a favorite episode of mine. Y'all know I love me some hip-hop, self-explanatory, if you listen to the, any of the other episodes. Um, so, this documentary came out in... 2023 is a three-part docu-series on BET, produced by Mass Appeal, which is uh, an, uh, a company that Nas is, is an investor in. Yeah. So Nas has been doing uh, a bunch of work with this um, company already. Yeah. They already put stuff out. Um, this doc featured interviews with Ludacris, Charlemagne, Eve, DJ Drama, Big Tigger, uh, and more. Lots yeah. of more people in this doc. So uh, dope stuff. I hope y'all get a chance to watch it. Um, the reasons why we chose this doc, I dive into it. I remember being a young boy watching Rap City with my older brother. Um, I thought it was super cool. How old are you? <laughs> Look, man. Probably shoot. shouldn't have been watching. This was, I was probably, I think I my, I remember seeing it as early as like six, seven years old oh, watching wow. Rap City. Um, and that's just what I remember. There's no telling how many times it was playing in the background. Um, I had an older sibling. Yeah. So when we was getting babysat. That's what he was watching, so <laughs> that's what we was watching, and yeah. Yeah, so you're no. the youngest, I'm the oldest. I never really watched Rap City, I have to be honest. Um, I was more of the 106 in Park era, and we'll definitely talk about that on this documentary as well, because they basically talked about like the history of BET as well. Um, so I was not as familiar, I mean, I was familiar with Rap City, like of course I know hip-hop culture, but I didn't actually watch it when it was airing in the early 2000s and that seems to be the golden era of big tickets so yeah. we'll definitely get into it but for me i just wanted to look i just wanted to dive in because i love documentaries about hip-hop and learning more about our culture and this was a great one this documentary reminds me that us millennials are getting old things yeah. that are we're cherishing our childhoods are now being talked about as uh <laughs> right it's old enough to have a documentary now like this was a jewel of our culture 20 years ago um certain eras of it at least so, yeah, this is dope. Uh, that's why we were so excited to do it. Yes. Um, so we're going to remind you about our poll question before we get started. Take that poll. Which era of hip-hop is the best era of hip-hop? Um, we'll, you do you know, have an answer? Or you want to answer at the end? I guess we can answer at the end. Or do you want to, what you want to do? Mm, I'll keep, we'll see how how the episode goes if okay. I'll keep my opinion to myself. But. All right. <laughs> that's All a right. tough question. It really is. And so keep that in mind. If you're listening on Spotify, you can always interact with us and take the polls and our questions because we want to hear from you guys. And I'm going to tell you how it all kicked off. Let's start with the 1989 launch of Rap City. So first of all, we're in 1980s. And if you're black, you know what that means for our community. It was the crack explosion during this time. Snowfall, but in real life. Okay. And so um, people were coming off of Reaganomics. Um, we're getting into the mid to late 80s. And there was also the murder of Yusef Hawkins at this time. There's a documentary about that, babe, that I have to show you. Um, this was basically the Mike Brown of their time. You know, um, another black kid who was killed by the hands of police in New York. So just think you got 
crack going on. You got murder by the hands of cops. A lot going on in this cultural hub where hip hop is, um, and across the nation. You know, all the L.A. riots, everything. Like, well, that was the '90s, but we'll get there. Um, so you have artists like LL Cool J, who I'm wearing today, uh, KRS-One, Big Daddy Kane. They really ruled the hip hop scene, and this was like when music really actually spoke to your soul. They said in the documentary, like when hip hop really, we had that lyricism, we had that feeling that emotion and they were talking about their everyday struggles like we just said and so a lot of people call it the golden era of (laughs) hip-hop if you believe that you know the 80s was the golden era make sure you comment on our poll um but this was really defined by a certain lyricism at that time and so it's the 80s and there's not a lot of black people on tv or in the media at all really like they're still kind of shutting us out um, and definitely nobody was covering hip hop because I think we've seen on a couple other documentaries where people were like, oh, hip hop, like we didn't want to touch that, yeah, which yeah. is absolutely crazy. Like now hip hop is everywhere. Hip hop is in sports. It's in marketing. It's everywhere. But back then it was the new kid on the block. People didn't want to, y'all are rapping over beats. Like, what is this? People yeah. were confused. And so, um, this is really, they said in the documentary, rap was something you had to just listen to when your friends came back from New York City with a mixtape. It wasn't, it was still word of mouth. It wasn't all over the radio like it is today. And so, they even said back then that radio shows were mostly like, they were mixing and they were DJing, but you didn't have what we have now, like people freestyling it Mm -hmm. in the booth and everything. And so, during this time, a light bulb goes off. It always starts with one man's idea, Bob Johnson. He founded BET, Black Entertainment Television. And it was super niche. He wanted black people to be able to see themselves on TV. And we know now BET has been bought and traded and whatever else. And people say it's not black owned anymore. But never forget, Bob Johnson created BET. And so, it was the first and only black cable network at that time. And they had about 10 million subscribers to start. So, you know, you need a lot more than that nowadays but that's what they started out with and so headquartered and they were headquartered in dc and people were saying back then that dc was kind of like the first atlanta like Mm. it was black professionals coming up and like yes exactly and so it was perfect for bet to be headquartered in dc for that reason and so um early bet it's not what they have today with the BET Plus and everything else they got going on. They had a very shoestring budget. They had very little money. They played a lot of Earth, Wind & Fire, Aretha Franklin. You know, they played the oldies. Classic. Exactly. And so the they did have a music program at that time that was airing on BET, but it wasn't Rap City. It was called Video Soul. And the senior producer of Video Soul, he was one of those old heads who was like, nah, I'm not playing hip hop. It's too street, he said. So they were really like they were. You know what? And uh, I hate red that. flag is that red a red flag? flag. <laughs> red flag, because that's that's a problem for me when we say it's too street when so much of so much of our culture was embedded in those streets. Yeah. At the time, we may not have realized or wanted to acknowledge it because we wanted better, but there were also a lot of hardworking families and good people that was in those streets mm-hmm. and that contributed to the culture. So I think that's why hip hop ended hitting the way it did because people was able to relate to yeah. it. Whether it put you in a good mood, a bad mood, or it just made you want to have fun. You heard hip-hop and it reminded you of somebody that you knew or absolutely. or somewhere you've been before. Yeah, absolutely. So that would be a red flag for me as well. Any black people who say hip-hop is too hood for them, mm, I don't know about that. So Especially back then. It really yeah. wasn't as bad as it is now. Like. Uh, right. I'm like, <laughs> you were mad about LL Cool J? You would be terrified at what they'd say today. <laughs> you couldn't fathom Lil Wayne. <laughs> 
So finally, they did try to experiment. And what happened was they played hip hop videos for a week straight right before school started, like right during Labor Day weekend. And of course, that rap week that they had ended up being their most viewed week ever and their mm. best week ever. Wow. And so they said, hey, let's turn this into a show. And they named it Rap City after, you know, like a rap city in music. Um, so Rap City launched in 1989 and, you know, it just goes to show that Rap City was born during a very tough environment, a very tough time in our community. And they said in the documentary, it's one of the things that we've been able to produce while living in hell. And I just think that is so cool because that's what black people do all day long. You know, we, yeah. we make the best out of our situations, out of our circumstances. We, you know, band together just a couple black folks in D.C. and they decided to put on a broadcast television show and bring hip hop to television. I didn't even know hip um rap city was that old. Yeah. And I started almost didn't even know that uh I think I was surprised that BET was was yeah. as old as it was. Because a lot of old heads try act like they ain't want nothing to do with BET or they mm-hmm. didn't know what BET was back in the day. But I guess that's cause by the time we was kids, BET was primarily dedicated to shows like Rap City. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think, I feel like it was a disconnect with the generations once they seen hip-hop had become so popular. Yeah. Um, so moving on, Rap City had a good start with early hosts like Chris DeMere Thomas mm-hmm. and Prince DeJour. Uh, I like Prince DeJour a lot. Yeah, he was joint. cool. I like his personality. I feel like Chris the Mayor, he was yeah. a little too comedic. And that's the thing. they These people weren't like television hosts. They were all just starting out. So they would get like comedians or like... And it was real... So he was more comical. It was real organic too how a lot of these people got their starts. A lot of... I was at the right place at the right time. Somebody yeah. called out sick and I took the opportunity to, you know, say something and I ended up having a job. Or like so, friends putting them on. yeah. So, uh, they were both, uh, you know, like I said, it was both in the docuseries, um, and, uh, the show took off once they had Will Smith as a guest, which is something else I didn't know. Like, I didn't know yeah. it went back that far. I know Will Smith was that boy back in the yeah. day. Uh, so charting artists and underground artists were all invited to the show. Rhapsody introduced artists like Jay-Z and Ludacris to the world. So all of our old heads and OGs got their start on Rap City. I love that. Um, that and, they were putting on underground artists. They said like Ludacris owes his whole career to Rap City cuz he nobody knew him before then. Which is crazy. So MTV Raps, Yo MTV Raps came on one year after Rap City, which mm, I think, red flag. which I yeah, red flag for that. I think that's extremely petty. Uh <laughs> before that, we know MTV wasn't really playing none of exactly. you know, our culture for real. Or rap videos, I would say. If you've seen black people on MTV, it was real commercial. Uh, maybe pop or like maybe you know, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, if, you feel if me? If they felt like it, but not a lot of black stories are being told. You know what I'm saying about our culture and our experiences. So yeah, so Rap City introduced artists like Jay Z and Ludacris to the world. Uh, Rick James and David Bowie even spoke about it about how MTV wasn't really you know putting on for the culture or anything like that. So in the early '90s, hip hop is still looking for its identity. Uh, you've got the New York sound or the LA sound. So right now it's kind of like, you know, this West Coast, East Coast thing going on. Um, and that's like kind of what's dominating hip hop. So uh, one of the Rap City producers did a big push to let Big Les, the first and only female host before BET finally signed off. Yes. And if um, we could just pause right there. I just want to give a shout out to women in hip hop because we know that there's not a, there weren't a lot of them at that time. And so for her to be on TV, that's always something that I wanted to do, like be a little TV personality. So for her to actually do it back then in the 90s, like hats off to Big Les. And she was in the documentary. So 
Word. Nah, much love. Um, and she was the only woman, too, so she held it down, which is kind of a red flag. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I love our culture, but as we know in hip hop, women didn't get a lot of opportunities. Um, what? Yeah, what you were gonna say about her looks was a red flag to me. Yeah, so you know she was real tall. She was demanding, um, not like a demanding person, but like she had that type of presence where, like, you know, what I'm saying everybody knew her, everybody loved her. She was a dancer and a choreographer, but like because of that, nobody really knew her by name. They knew her as like the big girl that could dance. So uh, Rap City gave her a voice. Um, and she said in the docu series, and, and she said in the docu series that women really do know hip hop. Women do know this culture. Yeah. Um. So Rap City went through a few hosts, including Big Les's co-host Joe Claire, from 1994 to 1999. So that's a red flag, I guess, because like they switch a host a lot, but at the same time, they that's what happens. We have a new show. New show. You're trying yeah. to figure things out. It's trial and error. And I feel like sometimes they was a little bit too sensitive with like what the ratings is doing and what they not doing. Like, the- well, that was important, babe. Like, if they didn't get the ratings, they would have pulled the plug, and there would be no rap city. I feel. I don't know. Like, I felt like they was real quick pulling the trigger on like changing people's faces and stuff. Like. Instead of trying to, like, figure out what's work with people. But I guess that's showbiz. Yeah. I don't know. So rap radio became a segment of the show where people could freestyle. So this is a, um, you know, a huge thing. Like, this is giving artists an opportunity to showcase their skills. And I think what's really important about the early eras that I learned is that they were, like, really in the streets. It was like if me and you took a camera and we were in the streets. Yeah. So I love how they really kept it, like, within the community and they were, like, where the people were. So, in the meantime, uh, Yo! MTV Raps ended in 1995. Oh, um, guess they didn't last very long. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe because a lot of people on MTV wasn't really feeling it because they probably felt like it was a, you know, a shake-off of what they was already doing at BET. But Rap City was still standing. So, the hip-hop marketing was selling at all types of products at this time. Yeah. Um, so, now you're starting to see hip-hop on the screen with, like, Fresh Prince, Juice, Belly, you're starting to see rappers and movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, music videos gave artists opportunities to express themselves um, in all different type of you know ways um, in the media. So uh, the show originally shot everything in D.C., but then they started traveling, going to different cities, um, and the crew was growing and learning together. Everything was still trial and error, though. So like they're doing a lot of things and not really seeing it work out as much. Um, you know, uh, things can go wrong when you, you know, doing something like this for the first time. But I, so I like, love also how we're starting, it's like the show is growing with hip-hop, because mm-hmm. hip-hop, like we said earlier, people are like, oh, what's that? And now it's getting big, it's in the marketing, it's in McDonald's commercials, it's in Sprite commercials, so now they're, they have more to play with. Like, now they can have more guests and make the show bigger and better, and like you said, travel the country, because I feel, all I knew was East Coast hip-hop. Like, you know, being from the East Coast, my my dad to this day isn't a big West Coast fan, but you know I feel like now they were able to branch out from DC and go across the country, so that was really cool. And that's for me. I always listened to all different type of rap because it was accessible to me. Like I knew about Snoop when I was a kid. Um, some of my rappers, like favorite rappers, grew up from all over different parts of the country. Uh, but your dad era, like they was real like territorial yeah. with, <laughs> with who they was listening to. Uh, you had Eric Watson as a producer and Greg Diggs as a director of programming. Um, and they really, like, decided, like, what videos was going to be shown. Yeah. They really had their hand on the culture. Um, and very, very significant role that they played in this because they really decided ultimately what people would see. And I think um, that's so important because we know that sometimes 
the big wigs or the people who are controlling things behind the scenes aren't from the culture. Maybe maybe they aren't a black producer or a black director. And so you have people who like come in and change things and they since they were like had their finger on the pulse, they knew what people wanted to see. So that was really cool to see them in the documentary. So now we're getting into the late nineties, an ugly period in hip hop culture with the East Coast, West Coast beef. This is when they start having, you know, the whole back and forth and all that. Yeah. Um, and in 1997, host Joe Claire got Biggie's last TV interview the day before he was shot. Mm. Um, so like that was crazy. Um, cause you know, they, as you know, being rap city during that time, I'm sure they were in between a lot of it, you know, working with different artists. They're traveling now. Yeah. Um, that, I guess that's have... a red flag to me because like, sorry to cut you off. Go oh, no, nah, no, nah, go ahead. That's a red flag to me because I feel like why did people let that carry on for so much? The East Coast versus West Coast. Like, I feel like it just kind of started out as like a, you know, PR thing, but people took it too far. People literally died over it. Well, that's because a lot of these rappers was real like street niggas. They were. They were real street niggas. Like now when when rappers beef, it has become more of a gimmick because rap beefs are gimmicks. Yeah, Twitter fingers. People make money from them. People gain publicity from them but like back in the day if you got on the track and said fuck you and fuck the whole side of the country that you live on niggas took that very personal don't one of you niggas got sickle cell or something (laughs) nah for real though like it was it was violent back then so like um yeah yeah, so um, the fact that Rap City got Biggie's like last TV interview, that just goes to show how ingrained the show was in the culture. Like people would come to Rap City and feel like, oh, I'm home, you know. Like yeah. I don't know if, if there's anything like maybe Hot Ones or something that people go to now where they're like, oh, I love it here. Um, and so now we're in the 2000s already. So Rap City was really around for a long time. We're in the 2000s, and as we go into this era, BET was trying its best to censor out guns, drugs, titties, like... Basically hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's hard to do, but that's what people were fighting for. You know, parents and the church advocates and stuff, they they didn't want kids to see this on TV, but there's not much they can do. Like, that's a red flag. Anybody who's, like, down with hip-hop because of the titties and the guns, your kids just shouldn't listen to it. I'm sorry, but I don't know how else to censor that. And so BET was trying to do their best to play these clean videos, but these groups are still trying to take them down. And somebody said in the documentary, like, if these advocates had just stopped and actually watched the interviews in between the music videos with the artists, got to know them as people, they had a nice clip of a Method Man interview where he was, like, talking about his children or whatever. Like, these are real human beings, and they're not just gangsters. What's crazy to me is that people always say, like, becoming that hip-hop for being as explicit as it is. But it's one thing that also, you know, because it's not realistic. You can control everything your kids see or talk about when they go to school. But you should be instilling in your kids that that's a, a artist or that's a rapper or most importantly, that's an adult. He could drink and have fun and yeah. party in the videos, but that's not appropriate for a child. Like, it's a time and place for everything. And I think sometimes people was too harsh towards hip hop because how totally. explicit it was. Like, nah, it's, it's not for everybody. But the people that it's for... It's supposed to, like, really, you know, relate to them, so... I mean, even today, sometimes it's a little too much titty pussy this and that, but... yeah, it definitely has gotten... (laughs) It's gotten out of control, (laughs) but that's the thing. I'm not letting my child listen to Sexy Red if I had a child. Like, that's that's your child, and that's your responsibility, like you said. It's not BET's responsibility, but they were at least trying. And so, the next host, um, you know, this will be the one that us millennials will come to get to know. Everybody loves Big Tigger. 
Tigger went to UMD and he said that his freshman year of college, I'm going to host Rap City one day. I love how in these documentaries, everybody just proclaims it and it became so. And so he started doing voiceovers for another little teen show that they had at BET called Teen Summit. And um, from there, he became the host. And so that was like him getting his leg in. And he kind of had like a radio personality. He had like worked at a radio station before. And um, so he had that background. And people said that Tigger was super aggy about getting a job at the radio station. Like one of those people, like you said, sometimes you just got to annoy the right people. He beat it over their heads every day. Like y'all hiring yet? Can I get a job yet? And apparently it worked. And so he was finally elevated to do the hip hop news. And so he was getting all this experience as a kid in the 2000s in college. And so one day, like Brother Ash said, somebody just happened to be sick. And folks, you know, they decided to give him a chance. Specifically, one of the former producers, Melanie Massey, I want to shout her out. Um, She gave Tigger his shot on Rap City. And that's how it really all got started. You fill in for somebody and they say, hey. We actually like you, so why don't you stick around? That's awesome. That's a blessing. And so, um, like I said, he was a radio personality, so him as a host really worked well. People really loved him. They said that he had a unique voice, a different style of dress, everything, and he wasn't afraid to be himself. And I think that is so important, especially when you're on television. People may try to change you. Like you said, it was kind of a red flag how they kept going through different hosts, trying to find the right personality. Oh, you're too big. You're too small. Mm -hmm. You're not funny enough. Whatever. It could kind of take a hit on your personality, but Tigger really had that confidence. Nah, Tigger was that boy. I think that's, I don't, you know, watching this documentary, I've seen a lot of familiar faces, but I was so young at the time. Like, I just always thought everybody was, you know, (laughs) was celebrities and was cool. I remember like Tigger... And him holding it down for a long time. I feel like he might have been the longest tenured yeah, I think host so. on the joint. So, yeah. A lot of these hosts, we mentioned the years, and they were only there for like a short stint. Um, and so Tigger said in the docuseries, like he still to this day thinks this was like such a blessing for him and his career. He said, being on such an iconic channel, an iconic show was amazing. And Tigger had bars. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that in a second because they were scared <laughs> to see him in the booth. And so... This is a red flag for me. Of course, enter somebody new. We got our little BT family going on in DC. We're having a good time. Like, we're all great coworkers. Everybody, we're doing amazing. Enter Stephen Hill. I don't want to say he's a red flag, but it's just like as soon as corporate gets their hands on things, then it just changes. Fuck everything. Yeah. <laughs> so Stephen Hill joined BET from MTV. And he was going to be doing the programming and the development. And he did that for like 17 years, from 99 to 2017. And so he'll program BET like a radio station, they said. But this isn't a radio station. This is a TV station. You have to do it differently. Um, He brought in a different point of view because basically everybody, like I said, was working in a silo. You know how you get comfortable. Oh, this is the Rap City way. We all been here since the beginning. This is how we going to keep it. He was like, nah, we going to shake it up a little bit. So first, he changed the format of the show by cutting it down from three hosts to one. (laughs) So they got rid of Big Les, got rid of Joe Claire, and it was only Tigger. Which, in hindsight, is probably a good idea. You don't need three people. But it just sucks because people lost their job because they had to come in and change things. 
And so then they also changed the scenery. Remember I said they were out on the street talking to people, freestyling on the street. He took that away. I guess that was too hood. And he decided to have the scene be the basement that we have come to know and love where Tigger did the show from. And the whole premise was like he was living in his mom's basement or whatever. And so um, the basement, which is B-A-S-S, basement, that was an idea that was brought by director Craig Henry. So just a lot of smart, talented black people in the room giving cool ideas, really, you know, putting the show together. And a fun fact we learned from the documentary was that the basement was not actually a basement. It was an elevated studio set, which really tripped out guests when they came to the show because the hip-hop artists who came on the show also watched the show just like us. And they loved Rap City. They couldn't wait to come on the show and talk to Tigger. It was like that moment in your career, like, oh, I made it to Rap City. So imagine you're going on set and you're like, oh. You gotta go upstairs. And shit. <laughs> like, this isn't basement. a basement. It's a bunch of cameras around us on an open set. And so the Basement 2000s era is really the best era, in our opinion. You know, that was the Tigger era. And it introduced us to DJs like DJ Khaled, DJ Drama. Because what I loved about the format of the show was Tigger was like the host, but then he had a DJ. And they would switch out the DJ. They would give new DJs a guest star appearance like Khaled and Drama. And so that was good PR for DJs, because remember at this time, no social media, still the early 2000s. So this was a great way for not only rappers to get out there, but DJs as well. And this is right at the hip-hop of the commercial climax, you know, of hip-hop. And this is really where Rap City was still giving artists a human voice. Because, as I said, they're out here in McDonald's commercials now and, and, you know, NFL commercials and everything like that. But they were still humanized when they came to the set of Rap City. So the freestyle segment did change. And um, it became the booth. And this is really where rappers were able to raise their fan base by doing these freestyles like Nas, Cameron, Killer Mike, they all came through. Everybody. Yes. Every, yeah, if you didn't have a Rap City sure, freestyle, yo. like, who are you? You know, you gotta get on Rap City. And that's what I love about Rap City. It touched on all the elements of hip-hop. Yeah. Uh, DJing, graffiti, breaking, mm-hmm. MCing, you know what I'm saying? Like, all of these things were a part of the show some way, somehow. Right. So, um... The you, fashion. Yeah, and to have that bloom from such like a, a, a dark period uh for our people and then everything that was going on with the east and west like it really was a safe space for artists to come and you know show their talent yeah so. and so the best part of course was that Tigger could actually rap some of the other hosts like i said they were comedians or they were djs so they really couldn't like hold their weight in the booth mm-hmm. with the, the artist so it was cool as a viewer because now you get to see the host kind of jump in there with the artist yeah. and it just added a whole another vibe to the show um, and they said that at one point it was hard for them to book talent for the show because niggas was scared to see Tigger in the booth had, you, had, you couldn't come to the show and not be able to rap yeah, like if, you, you flopped, if you didn't have uh, some shit you know, in your head memorized that you could come with or you couldn't freestyle Tigger was going to out-rap yeah. you as the host. Like <laughs> they showed, he, he would really hang with anybody. They showed that episode with uh, Beanie Man and and how he could just even jump in the Jamaican vibe. Like mm-hmm. It was dope. So that was really awesome to see um, him just kind of rem- reminiscing about that in the documentary. And so when Stephen Hill changed things up, you know, okay, new format, whatever. But what really shook the culture at BET was when they moved from D.C. to NYC. Mm. Um, they said that they just wanted to go where the music market is. It's either L.A. or New York. So yeah. 
I get. I mean, that's crazy because now today we have so many awesome DMV artists, right? Like Wale comes to mind. Just like even some of some of your friends, people who you fuck with. There's great sound coming out of the DMV area. Mm-hmm. But at the time, back then, all the commotion was in New York. So they said we got to move. And so this was a tough transition that affected a lot of the employees. Imagine if you're fucking with your job, you know, your commute's 15 minutes, you live in D.C., you vibe in D.C., and now they're like, oh, we're moving to New York City. You think you think Rap City was paying everybody to relocate? Nope, definitely not. So they probably lost a lot of employees, and it was probably very hard. Damn. In fact, they talked about how hard it was in the documentary. Um, and so they were just not as creative when they were in New York. They couldn't be themselves. The golden D.C. days were really over for them. And so the show lost its D.C. personality, and Tigga said, we knew it wasn't ours anymore. Yeah, they saying stuff like, you know, um, the building wasn't like, it just felt like a corporate switch. Like, the other building in D.C., it was theirs. The big black B.T. Yeah, they said it was like a a big black B.T. building, whereas, like, this new building was just, like, kind of like... You know, kind of yeah. a little dingy looking. Another like, skyscraper. Yeah, a skyscraper. And, you know, had to get, you know, people make New York seem like glamorous, like the city of, <laughs> yeah. you know, dreams happen here. And it is. But, like, for them, it was like, oh, like, this is kind of like unfamiliar territory. So, yeah. it was it was something they had to adjust to. It seemed like they were trying to make BET into MTV. So, Word. that's a red flag. Word. Red flag for sure. Um, yeah. As you said, other people in the docuseries said we became very mainstream. It was more corporate. It was union. Penny McDonald, she was kind of a stuffy black lady. No shade. But <laughs> I'm glad that she was in the documentary as well because she could give her point of view. Everybody has a job to do. She may not have wanted to, you know stifle their creativity but they told her quote my job was to elevate Rap City to quality TV Yeah. so it's not that Rap City wasn't great before but they had to elevate it to a new market now and we know how hard it is to keep consumers engaged yeah. for years after years shows I, get cut after three seasons I'll give Penny her props because I think she was uh like even um Big Tigger has said, like, she used to be on him about shit. Yeah. But he realized that he learned a lot from her being on him mm-hmm. and her being so tedious about things. You need that one tedious sister. <laughs> the annoying tedious he said, sister. They said that they hated each other low-key. Yeah, put her glasses up like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell so, us more about after that. So the post-Tigger, excuse me, post-Big Tigger era, every good thing got come to it. Yeah. Couldn't happen forever. So also, uh, in 2000, Stephen Hill, the president of music programming, created 106 in Park. And that's where it all went downhill. <laughs> and this is, this is crazy to me because, like, I always seen it like, all right, like, I'll be watching Rap City with my big brother and then, boom, 106 in Park, come on. So, like... <laughs> that golden era where, for a brief moment, they were still both like, airing. Internally, yeah. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite golden for them. Yeah. So the show was, like, the shiny new thing at the office so, you know, people from Rap City start getting that neglected sibling start mm-hmm. type syndrome. So, 106 and Park wasn't supposed to take away from Rap City, but it exploded so fast that it kind of naturally did. Yeah. Um, even the young without, generation. Yeah, even without that being the intention. Like, they were, you know, they had a little bit more money, more, uh, the, like, the channel, period. Mm-hmm. BET had more people watching because Rap City had put in that work yep. for so long with the underground scene. So, now people already know to come to BET. Um, and so it even got to the point where like people, certain artists 
wouldn't want to perform or go to Rap City if they already had to be That's That sucks. That's a red flag. Yeah. That stings a little bit because it's like, damn, what happened? Take us over here in the corner. Like, what happened to the basement? Like, y'all used to fuck with me. They're like, oh, no, we, we going to 106 and, Park and, today. And the artists be like, nah, we still fuck with you, but we just spent the whole day shooting with 106 Park or whatever. So, like, you know, uh, yeah, well, got to go. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> Ticker was supposed to be a mentor to AJ and Free. Um, as BT senior talent, but they didn't need him. Yeah, also type time where like you know he couldn't, he didn't feel like he could really help them a lot because AJ and Free were really good. Like, yeah, they, you know what I'm saying they had energy, they knew how to keep the crowd going. Everybody loved them. They but were, that hurts as the old head at the office. Yeah, like. yeah, because I think you know he even had the attitude of wanting to take them under his wing, but you know they came in, they came in rolling. So eventually, some of the bigger artists would want to guest star on 106 and Park and not Rap City. Yeah. Uh, so you know this is internal beef that's starting to broil. People like ah, you know, like it's kind of like when you sit at the BET cafeteria, yeah. the 106 and Park <laughs> people over here, and the Rap City, and it, yeah. he said it was natural. Like, every day, the Lady Penny said she had to put out fires in between the two different shows because it was it was getting to that yeah. point. So, I mean, but, you know. That sucks. That's like it's kind of toxic, low-key, toxic work yeah, environment. That's a, that's a red flag. It was a red flag for me because as a consumer or as somebody watching it, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought that, you know, these shows were the coolest thing ever. But, you know, behind closed doors, it's like, oh, dang, like. We don't F with them. They don't F with us. Things are weird in the office. So not everybody was friends. Yeah, not, not everybody, everybody was, was friends in that joint. So in 2005, Adrian Free left, and Tigger made the move from Rap City to 106 of Park to co-host with Jalissa. So now he's kind of like, oh, now I get to be the the new guy on 106 and Park, but for a very brief moment. <laughs> so <laughs> he was basically keeping the uh, the seat warm for Terrence and Roxy. Uh, Roxy yeah. Who hosted from 2006 and 2000 to 2012? So that was another great era. Yeah. Tigger only got one year in there. <laughs> Word. But I mean, Tigger for me, he was like they Swiss Army knife. Like he knew how to do everything. He knew how to like even consult you know people on like different ways they could get segments yeah. more engaging. You know what I'm saying? Because see, like I said, he was just everybody's favorite. Mm-hmm. So um, on the Rap City side, though, there were many things cooking in the kitchen from 2005. 2008. Yeah, after Tigger um, left, it was kind of just like, eh. A lot of different hosts had came in and, you know, had came out, whatever, whatever. DJ Mad Lynx became the host after Tigger. It was a weird transition. The show didn't really give, like, the grimy basement feeling anymore. More corporate, yeah. Yeah, even artists was noticing that. Mad Lynx couldn't freestyle like Tigger. People were disappointed. That's hard, though. It's like, that's a tough act to follow. The guy who had the job after Tigger, like, you were never, you were never going to succeed. Bro. And, you know, it's, everybody is different. But people had grown so fond of Tigger yeah. that they just wanted that type of host. And he yeah. was a good host. Matt Lynx was a good host. Right. They said but he that just in the wasn't, doc, you know, yeah. he wasn't. People started to see Tigger and uh, Rap City as one. You feel me? Like, you can't have one without the other. You can't Facts. think of big, uh, big Tigger and not think of Rap City. So um, after that came Jay Hicks. Uh, who never did TV in his life. <laughs> that was but, cool to find out. <laughs> but he sent in a tape to Rap City, and they, and they liked him. it. Yeah. So uh, Southern artists vouched for him, and he moved to uh, to Georgia from New York. No, Just, he moved from Georgia to New York. He moved from Georgia to New York, excuse me, where he got the job. So my boy's headed to New York, ready for this big job. He had a nice swag. It wasn't really like, you know, New York. It was more of an ATL swag. 
Um, I think that goes back to what we said about the regions. If you think it was East Coast versus West Coast, people really wasn't fucking with the South. Yeah, they were like hip hop from the South. Nah, y'all don't, y'all don't but aren't in this conversation. What's crazy is it's a lot similar with the South though. Like his whole thing was being fly. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a different type of fly, but he had his best clothes on, his best chains mm-hmm. on all the time. Like. He was stunning because he knew if I'm going to be up here in New York with these big wigs, <laughs> I got to be on my shit. So, um, Jay Hicks had a nice swag. He knew the culture and Penny Penny McDonald, excuse me, believed that he could do well. So, like, a lot of people were kind of worried about him. Like, ah, we don't know. But, like, she kind of always vouched for him and knew that he would do well. He eventually did do pretty good. He did his first guest spot in 106 in Park as an audience member. Um, oh, no, fault. I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about DJ uh, Q45. My fault. Excuse me, y'all. But he, uh, after all, BET's biggest market was the South. So Jay Hicks was the only Rap City host that was able to get an interview with Lil Wayne. And y'all know Lil Wayne is one of my favorite rappers of all yeah, time. Yeah, that was definitely yeah. a testament to his, you know, personality and how Lil Wayne didn't want to give anybody else a freestyle, but he was able to get one with Jay Hicks. Because so. for, for, for Weezy, it was like, yeah, you know, like he didn't want to um, be, I guess, like he just felt comfortable with, with, with Hicks. Because he recognized him as somebody that he knew. They kind of had like that Southern accent, Southern kind of swag. So when he seen him, it was just like freestyling with your boy at a lunch table. Um, so like he got a lot of kudos and a lot of respect for landing that first interview with Lil Wayne. Because y'all know Wayne had the 2000s on lock. So <laughs> so moving on. Oh, yeah, I guess um, this is like 2005-ish, yeah. 2006. And like I said, Wayne had shit on lock, yeah. boy. So... Uh, moving on to DJ Q45 became the last host of D, uh, of Rap City. Yeah, so um, coming to an end. Yeah, so he did his first guest spot on 106 in Park as an audience member. Um, he had great energy and became the Rap City DJ and host. So that was different. We said that they always had like one host and one DJ, but this guy kind of did two and one, which seems like a lot of work. That's a red yeah. flag. Why would you take on that much work? I mean, at this point, though, I feel like anybody taking on these jobs, like, they just, like, they, they sent it in tapes. Yeah, they was so hungry. So, they hungry. So, it's like, all right, you going to tell me I got a host and DJ? Fuck it. I'm doing it. Yeah. It's my dream job. So, and I like But that like, was the problem. He fell a little bit too much into the DJ. Yeah, yeah. But he had a great personality, though. Um, so, he had, uh, I guess Stephen Hill flat out asked him, like, do you want to be a DJ or a host? Yeah. <laughs> because he clearly loved DJing more, yeah. but he was really good at hosting. So, I, BET probably was like, we could take either or. We just want to know. We need you to find something. So, Q45 decided to just be the host, but those numbers weren't big Tigger numbers. Oh, so uh, like, yeah. Like you said, they just kept comparing every new host to Tigger. Which is not fair. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think in order for them to really have grown with these new hosts... They needed to truly give, you know, them a full backing and not expect them to be. That's showbiz, baby. Like, if you don't succeed in the first season, you're not getting a second season. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, just like anything else in the world, the internet ruined it. Yeah. So now what is it, like 2006? (laughs) Enter a young artist by the name of Soulja Boy. Soulja Boy, tell him. I can't believe that, like, Soulja Boy is so prominent in these hip-hop documentaries. (laughs) Because, you know, as millennials, we always joke like, oh, Soldier Boy, haha, like Yo, that little dance he, back then. To us, he was a gimmick. Yeah. Like, we, as a kid, I remember dancing to Soldier Boy, and I knew it was the hot dance, 
Yeah. But like I never, and no disrespect to Soldier Boy, but I never had him in the conversation of rappers of that time. Like I didn't say I know his dance was the most popular, and we all danced to it at the parties as a part of my. That childhood. was my eighth grade dance. Yeah, it was a part of my childhood <laughs> for sure. But when you talked about the hottest rappers, I'm talking Ludacris, I'm talking Wayne, I'm talking Kanye, yeah. I'm talking Common. He wasn't you know really in saying? that conversation he for was, me, but. As we can see, he he had a, uh, his handprint on the culture. He birthed a generation of influenced rappers. Yeah. That's what this is. Soldier Boy was the first hip-hop artist to go viral at this time. He created Go Viral. So is that why he had that <laughs> interview where he was like, Drake? 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 <laughs> I went viral in 2006. I love Soldier Boy. Yo, he is the OG of viral shit, though. <laughs> like, we, if we keeping it real, kids Hop don't need... Hop up out the bed, <laughs> turn my swag on. <laughs> Take a look. Get in the mirror and say what's up. up. Like <laughs> Drake OD stole that flow. Though. We don't we don't talk about it, but like <laughs> it's all good. Um, I think it was more so of a respect thing. He probably was paying homage to yeah. back then as like some you know this is what's cool shit. But, but yeah. I can't believe that it was like oh my god the internet came and just create the inter- the music industry went crazy. Word, but I you know one thing about Rap City it came on at a certain time every day. So when things start popping on YouTube. Kids don't got to race home to watch TV or yeah. record TV shows. They could just pull up their next or Soldier Boy's next music video yeah, on YouTube. So the internet really started to spread its wings. Um, and artists like, you would see more and more artists like Soldier Boy start to, you know, come into the game. Yeah. And then artists that were on Rap City had to start doing things to try to stay relevant right. with that new type of hip hop. So, now every artist has their own YouTube channel. Yeah. Or even Chris Brown's on, they still have Vivo. Is that a thing? I, yeah, they do still have Vivo. It's, it's really more so YouTube music now. Okay, yeah. But I do think it's still a thing. So there was a shift in content consumption with all apps like YouTube that brought competition to BET. wasn't really ready for it. Yeah. Um, so someone in the docuseries said that at that point, it's financial. If the eyeballs are gone, the show is gone. Yeah, People not watching, then there's really nothing we could do. So um, in 2008... R.I.P. to Rap City. Rap City was canceled. <laughs> It came down to money. That's why we need investors. Maybe Nas can bring it back. Man, what if we could have got Barack Obama on Rap City? And you know what? That's what I'm thinking now. Like, we have shows like The Breakfast Club today, and they be getting Joe Biden and them on there. Like, if Rap City was around, they probably would have had him on there. And shout out to um, Rap City again, because even, you know, Charlamagne, we say he was on his documentary. He even said, like, a lot of the way, you know, they do stuff on The Breakfast Club and other shows. You know, famous podcasts or radio shows um, that are predominantly, you know, ran by black hosts today. They got that uh, template from Rap City. Mm -hmm. So, you know, shouts out to them. But 2008 got canceled. BT was no longer speaking to the niche underground rap demographic. And that's a red flag to me. Went on for four more years. Wow. So, so yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to say that's a red flag to me that we don't cover underground rap anymore. Now all the media cares about is who's on the Hot 100. That's or... what's wrong with the game right now. Yeah, and I and I will tell you that as an artist, um, in this time of hip hop, and like in the '90s, people and media companies, their job, and even DJs, they yep. were passionate about the music and the culture. But the only thing that was even more exciting was finding the next yeah. big talent. And now it's a, a very different. They don't look for the next big talent. It's more so the next big trend. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, what can we make a trend and what can we sell to people? So I yeah. miss that era of hip-hop where it was homegrown. You were sending in your tapes. 
you were it was word of mouth. Same. And you can still do that today. No, I feel like it's, it's so a, much harder. You can't just camp out at the, you know, BT headquarters today and wait till you can get signed. And like, that's that's that also is a part of hip hop growing up because now it's not as accessible. Some of the studios that you may have been able to sneak into today, I mean, and you know, in, in days before, yeah. you can't sneak into those studios now. Yeah, we looked into Claude you know Studios like, <laughs> how much the time would be so in like, today's you, era. You couldn't sneak into the radio station yeah. and, and bombard the engineer and give him your tape. You do that now, it's, it might be security there. Exactly. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, I miss that era of hip-hop where everything felt just, you know, so authentic it felt like you was in the basement. It felt like I was watching all of my, you know, my big brother would freestyle with his right. friends. Like, that's what it reminded me of. And I wanted that so much. But, you know, that era is what birthed this explosion of hip hop yeah. that we have today. So we can't do nothing but be grateful for it. Right. We would not be where we are today in hip hop if we didn't have those folks pioneering in the 70s, 80s, 90s. So shout out to them. And like you said, the new generation show, 106 and Park, it did go on for a few more years. But I just think in general, general like people don't really watch music on tv that much anymore like you said if you know the hood niggas they be streaming youtube all day (laughs) i personally am on spotify or apple music or something like that you know so it just depends now people can have music 24 7 they don't like you said they don't need to see it on tv so maybe we should bring back a tv show like that though There, there are some you know streamers out there who have interviews with artists and stuff but i wish we could bring back rap city and they did i'll tell you guys a few statistics statistics in closing rap city was the longest running national broadcast hip-hop program ever so like you said it beat out yo mtv raps and anything else 106 and park it was the longest running ever as far as tenure and its cancellation was a massive blow to the culture like you said like now artists have to figure out like oh i can't just do an interview with tigger no more now i gotta stretch myself far and wide and make sure i get on all these different platforms Mm -hmm. so um, it it's wasn't at, like homegrown in that feeling of like, ah, just chatting with my friend no more. Um, and so there were a couple Rhapsody reboots. They had a few specials in 2013 and 2021. People were excited to see that. But we need something more long term. We don't yeah. want just a little taste. We want it to come back. But today, the new generation of rap lovers, they like us. We are rap lovers. We love hip-hop. We're going back and we're watching documentaries like this to learn about our history, to learn where we come from, and to and to keep it alive. And so people are still studying Rap City and going back to old episodes on YouTube. You can find anything nowadays. Keep rap alive, yeah. baby. So Tigger really appreciated that, that people are still looking into old episodes. But like you said, now we have platforms like Drink Champs, Guys Next Door, The Shop, The Breakfast Club, Sway in the Morning, L.A. Leakers. Other places for artists to still interview and freestyle. And I'll always be wondering, as an artist, do you know if they be writing that ahead of time or if it's really off the dome? It depends on who uh, who up there. For hmm. Some people only go off the dome. Well, so. I've seen a lot of great freestyles on Sway, and so I'm glad that we still have those options. But I wish we did have something more prominent. LA Leakers got some yeah. fire freestyles, too. And so, Rap City, we know, can never be duplicated. And the reason they said in the documentary is because it really was that golden era of hip-hop. That that little timeline between, like, late 80s to early 2000s. You're never going to get that time back. Like, even if we did try to do a show like Rap City today, we would be covering these little TikTok artists. So... And there's nothing wrong with those hip-hop... I don't want to throw no shade. There's nothing wrong with those hip-hop artists. But we want to, especially us as consumers, we are some people who actually enjoy some good lyricism. We're 
the J. Cole and Kendrick fans over here. So I think it's, the real artists are still out there. Yeah. It's just a lot harder to get to them now because we got to file through so many artists now. Yeah. Dudes wasn't able to just record as easily as artists are today can record if you wanted to pursue a hip-hop career you really had to set aside some money yeah you had to find some resources you had to hustle you had to go out there and figure out how you was going to get in the studio you know whatever and you know that grit and that grind is what created that you know talent that we heard and grew up to but you know when you take when you make it easy and when when the culture becomes as accessible as it is sometimes naturally people can take it for granted so now we got a lot of people that, you know, call themselves rappers. Mm-hmm. Or, but y'all not really Culture rapping. Culture vultures. Y'all, y'all not really rapping. You know, Ooh, it's, it's, it's... Preach, brother. I'm, I'm going to keep it a stack because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's you know, it, it's you... Sometimes we call it rapping, but it's really just riding the trend. Mm-hmm. People trying to find a way to get rich. And you can rhyme a few words together. You get fly. Or people write it for you. Yeah, you done found some cool beats on YouTube. Now you won't be a rapper. Nah, yo, this shit is real. This is a culture. You feel yeah. me? This is our culture. And if you're going to do it, you need to respect it. And that's, that's yeah. And he said what he said. For real. Period. And so in closing, you know, Rap City really led us to some of the millionaire rappers and, and artists that we know today. Some of the most iconic people like Jay-Z, Ludacris, they got their start on Rap City. So mm-hmm. shout out to BT for giving them a chance. And the new generation of rappers, all the ones we look up to, got their starts there. Yep. So, yeah. Rap City, man. Jewel for the culture. We love sure. this documentary. It so, was definitely watchworthy. For sure. Moving on. Moving on to the Watchy Awards. Watchies. This is my favorite part of the show. Um, do you want to go... F- yeah, I want to give my Watchy Award to the producers and directors who all had their hand in Rap City. As a former social media producer, I know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes behind the <laughs> scenes to make something happen. And I was only running social media feeds, so I can't imagine running a broadcast TV show. And like I said, it was just a bunch of dope DMV black creatives who got together and got their start at BET. And these people are only in their 40s today, so shout out to them for, you know, building great careers and legacies and having something that we could look up to. Like, you don't always have to be the host. You don't always have to be the tigger. As we said, some hosts were better than others, so some a lot of people found their way behind the camera and I so appreciate those producers and directors so that's my Watchy Award my Watchy Award is going to the booth yes having artists in there you spitting your best 16 and or 32 whatever the spirit is <laughs> whatever this hip hop spirit is calling for baby you feel me don't you come in this booth if you don't got it did and you come we, up with a freestyle for this episode? Nah, nah, <laughs> nah. Y'all gotta pay for that. Okay. It's like, nah, no, go, no, seriously, go over to the Wick channel if you want to see that. But nah, real live though, man. Uh, that was, you know, my favorite part of Rap City, watching the booth, watching the freestyles, watching the talent, the passion. Yeah. You know, you get a couple rappers in there, somebody go, then the next dude, like, nah, I can't That let, energy, I can't yeah. let him out rap me, but it's all in the love of hip-hop and art. That's my Watch You Award. Shout out um, to the booth. Yeah, so don't forget the poll question. What is your favorite era of hip hop? Is it the old days? Is it, you know, maybe the, uh, you know, that middle ground kind of early 2000s? Is it afterwards, the 2010s, where we started to see We had some good cold? times in some 2010s. Yeah, man. I remember when I was in high school, I got to hear some very, very classic albums drop while, you know, in that 2012 to 2015 era. So I was just telling um, my girl today about, um, Rich the Kid, I think. Who was that guy who did the new Freezer? 
Oh, and she was yeah, like, oh my God, yeah, memory yeah, unlocked. Yeah. I forgot about that. So yeah. we had some good time in the 2010s. Now I had a Kendrick feature. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we want to know what y'all favorite era, uh, what the best era of hip hop is, what yes. you think it is. Uh, so make sure y'all do that poll question. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Watchworthy Podcast on YouTube. And we'll see y'all next time. Yes, follow us on TikTok and TikTok, Instagram, Instagram. Five stars. Um, great episode, babe. Yeah. Shout sure. out to hip hop. Yeah, yeah. Peace.